Hello and welcome back to Inside Azamara. I'm Paul. And I'm Dinah. On this episode, we talk to Mike Paulus, the Director of Strategic Itinerary and Destination Planning, who explains what goes into finding ports and parking around the globe for the Azamara ships. We also had the pleasure to drop onto the Azamara Onward as the crew give their holiday shoutouts. Join us as we go inside Azamara. Can you believe it's the last episode of the year? I can't believe it's the holidays already. I know this year has flown by so quickly and our ships are leaving Europe now after a fantastic season and heading off to exotic destinations around the world. Which is a perfect time to chat with our episode's guest. We are speaking with Mike Paulus, the Director of Strategic Itinerary and Destination Planning, as he joins us for a chat about his career and what goes into planning at the ports of call for our fleets. Also, Dinah and I had the pleasure of sailing on the Azamara onward for a few days, and we got to see the wonderful Azamara crew at work. They'll join us later in the episode to say hello and happy holidays, but first, let's join Mike Paulus as he explains what goes into itinerary planning for our fleet. Welcome to the show, Mike. It is great to have you with us and thank you very much for joining us. For those that don't know you, as always, we'd like to start with an elevator introduction to who you are and what brought you to the Azamara family. Thank you. Good day, everyone. Yeah, I've been in the cruise business for over 30 years now. I started in 1987. And at the time, I was working for a bank in Miami. And I actually was happily employed with the bank. But then I saw an ad in the paper for a cruise line. So that intrigued me. I went down to the port of Miami and had an interview. And next thing I knew, I was resigning from the bank and joining the cruise business. So that was 1987. So I've never looked back. I love the cruise business. I love what I do. Uh, My background, I'm more of a financial background with a master's degree in finance. So I use that to my advantage. I also got into planning itineraries way back then when uh, I'd had the opportunity to get into more of a financial analyst role that dealt with itinerary planning. And I really loved it. And I started there, like I say, worked through many different companies through the years. In 2015, Larry Pimentel came a knocking, who was then the president of Azamara, described the whole brand promise of destination immersion and all the things that Azamara is known for. I loved the idea. And I said, yes, it's the right time for me to go. So I came into Azamara. I've been here for seven years now. I've never looked back. Great experience great brand, probably the best job I've ever had. That's amazing. And that's super interesting because you were in finance and banking, which is traditional route. We don't really see a lot of ship itinerary planning discussed during career days or anything like that in school. So how did you segue into that? And curious as to what was your first job when you did go to the port to apply in person? I actually joined as a financial analyst. I did a lot of the corporate stuff of simple corporate budgeting and things like that. But then I, like I say, had the opportunity once I got in the door, then I saw itinerary planning kind of a possibility to get into that area. So that's what really propelled me. And that's what I just loved. And I had a very heavy travel background before I joined the cruise line. So it just kept building from there. So I'm sure most people have very little idea what goes into planning to be able to send all of the ships around the world. It can't be just like turning up at a parking lot and looking for the closest parking space. Talk us through the process from almost start to finish of what you do to find us the spots that we have, knowing that the Azamara brand is known for having those berths downtown closest to the action. 
when I started doing this 25, 30 years ago, you could do an itinerary and literally design it and be assured that you're going to be docked in all the ports. Well, fast forward to 2022, we're finding more and more ships out there, less and less dock space available. So that's becoming more of a challenge. But through the years, it's become more of a science. We've got to make sure that obviously we've got to have a profitable deployment have itineraries that people want to bind. So you have to have the marquee ports involved in the itinerary. But also what we're doing as Azamara's with our destination immersion is staying late in port. So I'm constantly looking for ports where it makes sense to stay late. And that's where the docking location becomes so important. So when we do our birthing reservations, we always go out to the ports and ask for the best place in port. And there's places around the world, such as Bordeaux comes to mind, but also like even a simple port like Barcelona. We always dock at the World Trade Center facility right near the Colombo statue, whereas the big ships get pushed out further away from the city center. So again, our approach is to get those places that we can actually walk off the ship and walk into town. And that's one of our features as Azamara. You mentioned marquee ports there. Talk us through some of the examples of marquee ports and what you mean by that. When you do an itinerary, remember the first thing we got to do with an itinerary is sell it. So you've got to have a place that, whether it's the Parthenon in Athens or some visual image that even that someone's never been to Europe before, they might understand what Rome is or what Florence is. Those are what I call marquee ports, other places around the world, but people have an imagery of that area. So those are what I consider marquee ports. Sydney, Australia, Auckland, New Zealand. Mention the word Portofino, people have an image of what that is and a beautiful destination. Santorini is another example. People who've never been there before, they understand what it is and desire to go there. When you put itineraries together, you've got to have the marquee ports to catch the attention. But then we also have the hidden gems that we put together with the marquee port. So you will do Santorini roads and Mykonos perhaps on a Greek Isle cruise. But then we'll also put these gems that are tried and true for us. Like one that we're happy with now is Syros, where we actually bring the ship in and dock. And people don't know much about Syros, but it's another beautiful laid back, less congested Greek port. Other places we go to Paros, which is right across the way from Mykonos but it's also one of our highest rated ports that we do. So we take a look at what we do, what ports are highest rated, but uh, so it's a balance of marquee ports and the hidden gems that exceed people's expectations. How do you find those hidden gems? Marquee ports, you can probably throw a dart at any travel book and find those beautiful ports, but how do you find hidden gems? As I've done this for 30 years, I've gotten to go to many of these places, and Greece is one of those places that all the ports are pretty close together because of the ferry system there. So I've had the opportunity to go on a couple of fam trips that have gone to literally almost every Greek island in the Aegean Sea. But I also network with a lot of our agents. I talk to people at Sea Trades, our industry conferences, and I also take a look at our competitors and what they're doing and understand what's available. And, and I do more investigations that way, too. So it's an acquired knowledge through the years that I've done that. I want to take you back, if I may, and Diner, I'm sorry, I'm jumping in on a, a lengthy set of questions. Here. This is super interesting because I'm going on my first fam trip this summer and looking at those <laughs> itineraries and looking at all those different ports of places that I had never heard of. I'm like, this is going to be spectacular. <laughs> So yeah. this is great history and, and knowledge. So to help people understand, a FAM trip is where you do a familiarization trip. 
Yeah, and through my years, I've done these supercharged FAM trips where the one that sticks in my mind is I went all over Europe for 21 days and I saw like over 30 ports of call and I oh, came wow. home and I was just totally dead. But it was really a, an effective way where you get a lot of flavors and a lot of taste of all these destinations. And those are the ones I like the best because they just keep you moving. You literally land at the airport and they take you off to all the ports. So those are the ones I like the best because you learn so much quickly. You mentioned earlier on about the late nights and overnights. How does that play into the strategy of your work? A lot. And that's one of the advantages of Vazamara because we put so much focus on the destination. You know, not only are we staying late, but we have things to do. Even if someone wants to go ashore for a dinner on their own, they can do that. We have a whole plethora of events and tours that we offer in the evenings. You know, I won't just stay overnight in a port unless it makes a lot of sense. So that's why we really take a look at what there is to do. Where is the ship is the first thing, because if obviously if we're in a cargo pier way off from the city center, it doesn't make sense to stay there. But if you're in Barcelona and you're right across the street from the main thoroughfare and the pedestrian mall there, that makes a lot of sense. So take a look at where the ship is, but primarily it's, is it worth staying late or overnight? And in a lot of cases it is. I mean, I'm just blown away by all this information, by the way. I'm sure with all your travel, you've had many highlights. What would you say is one of the biggest highlights of your career so far and why? I've been very fortunate. I've had a lot of highlights through the years. I guess the one that's nearest right now is in recent is the fact that we had all four ships together in Koper, Slovenia in early October. We call it the Sisters Meet, as you know. That was something that I planned for about five years now, and it was originally planned for three ships, it was going to be the journey, the quest, and the pursuit being all together for that day. And then in the meantime, we got a fourth ship. The Onward came on. So I went back to the Port Authority and said, look, we had already decided to have the three ships together on the waterfront. And that was pretty crowded. And to be able to do that was quite an accomplishment. But then we had the fourth ship. I went back to the Port Authority and said, look, we got a fourth ship. Can you fit it in? And it took them a while, literally two weeks before the actual call. They came back and said, we have a solution. We could put all four ships along the thing. So so that was very satisfying to me because, like I say, we've been planning this for five years. And I was on the quest at the time. So I got up at 6.15 in the morning because we were having a rendezvous with the four ships at 6.30. And you couldn't ask for a better morning. The water was just glass. We were like about five miles off the coast together. Beautiful sunrise, perfect, no wind, no waves, no swell, no nothing. It was like the perfect weather. So, of course, we had a perfect sunrise. And you've seen all the pictures and the videos that are coming out now from that day. And then afterwards, when we went ashore, we had all four captains, all four hotel directors. We met with the mayor of the city. They proclaimed it Azamara Day in City Hall. They took us there. So that was a very special thing. And then also for the crew, it was very special because they don't get to see the other ships. And here they are. They've worked with other co-workers through the years. And to have all four ships together was great for not only employees, but for guests, too. So it was that was a very special day. What's the difference in planning when it comes to an Azamara itinerary versus, let's say, contemporary mass market cruise line that have many more ships and probably doing a lot more repetitive? What's the difference in the workload? The big ships typically do a, an eight o'clock to five o'clock call in a port. We hardly ever leave at five o'clock unless we really have to. So we'll stay later. So the big ships, obviously, they want people in their casinos, in their bars. That's why they're always going to sail at five o'clock for us. The destination is the king. So we're staying till 10 o'clock at night, 11 o'clock at night. 
And in some of these places we're staying, like Monte Carlo, for instance, it's it's a beautiful vantage point to be there in the evening because all the lights, you see the town, you can go for a walk, go to the, a local cafe or a bar and something. The big ships are gone. That's just the reality of the business model. So that's one big difference between the big ships and the, our size ships. Changing tack a little bit, Mike, you recently revealed the 2025 World Cruise. Tell us a little bit more about that voyage. Well, first of all, the 2024 World Cruise we launched last year, and it's 155 nights starting in Miami and ending in Barcelona. That one booked off the shelves. It was incredible what type of response we got on that. So we developed the 2025, and obviously we've got to go to the major ports around the world, like a Sydney or a Hong Kong or a Singapore. you got to keep those. But what we did is we did a little bit different routing around the world. This one will start in San Diego, California for 2025. It's also 155 nights, and literally it'll end up in Southampton, England. But what we tried to do is we tried to do different ports along the way. The world has a lot of quality ports, especially when you're doing a world cruise. So about 60% of the port calls on the 2025 world cruise are different than the 2024 world cruise. So that was the objective. The routing of this is such that we start in San Diego. We go across through Hawaii. We do all the major islands in Hawaii. And then we go down to French Polynesia. And for those that have not been to French Polynesia, Bora Bora, Morea, and Tahiti are just phenomenal places. Bora Bora, when we went down there in 2019, it was the number one rated port in the Pacific was Bora Bora. So that's obviously a staple on a world cruise. But then from there, it's on to New Zealand. We do the New Zealand stuff. Then over to Sydney, Australia, we have a surprise in the 2025 world cruise because the Azamara Pursuit and the Azamara Onward, Onward is doing the world cruise, Pursuit will be in the region. We're going to have both ships together in Sydney Harbor in February of 2025. So they'll actually sail into Sydney Harbor together. And if you've ever seen the Sydney Harbor, it's one of the most picturesque and beautiful entranceways for a cruise ship to come into. So we'll have both ships coming in. I'm sure we'll have the drones up and there'll be pictures and everything. So that's the surprise that we have on the 25 World Cruise. From there, the ship will go through Western Australia. A lot of people know about Sydney and Melbourne, but there's some beautiful places in Western Australia and Perth and Albany and the wine country and Margaret River region. So we'll be going that route. Then from there, we head up to Asia, where we'll go through the Philippines into Hong Kong, Vietnam, Bangkok, Singapore. And then from there, we head to the western part through the Indian Ocean, through Sri Lanka, India. From there, we then head through the Suez Canal. And from there, we do all the antiquities of Egypt, Safaga. We go to Aqaba, Jordan, which is known for Petra. So again, there's a lot of things there. And then from there, you can go see more of Egypt and then into the Mediterranean Sea, where we then go up to Athens, do all that. We'll go up to Venice for two days in Venice. Again, everywhere we go, we try to do two and three day calls. For instance, like in Bangkok, I mentioned, we'll be up the river in Bangkok where the big ships can't go. We're going to stay there for three days. So again, that's something special for a world cruise. But back to the itinerary, then from Greece, we'll go up to Venice. We'll continue on through Italy, over to Spain, Portugal. We'll actually go to Bordeaux. Again, talking about wine regions, this itinerary has tons of wine regions from all over the world. And then there we'll terminate the cruise in Southampton. So that's 155 days I spent about a year 
developing it and it's very special. Both the 24 and 25 are very special once in a lifetime voyages for people to buy. I know, I think you've wow. chosen the wrong fam cruise. That's the fam cruise. I, I think I need to accumulate a little bit more vacation time. <laughs> <laughs> so Mike, it's 155 days. It's a long time. Does a guest have to remain on board for 155 days or is it broken up into legs or segments we also open it up for the segments there's a total of 10 segments on the cruise from california all the way to southampton if you want to just do new zealand and australia you can book those two segments back to back whatever you want you could do as many as you want or all 10 and we surprising thing is we do get a large contingent of people doing the whole cruise Again, this is a once in a lifetime experience. Some people take multiple world cruises, but let's face it, most people, it's a once in a lifetime way. And what a great way to see the world from Hong Kong to Sydney, never unpacking for the whole duration. You mentioned earlier on about ratings. Talk me through what that means and how we get those ratings. Every cruise, we ask the passengers, how did you like the port? And there's 10 different sub questions we ask about from how close we are to the city center, how were the shore excursions? It's every port in the world, I've got a history of what the rating is on a scale of zero to 100. A lot of our ports are, are over 90%. So that's the survey results that we use. And I use those if there's a port that really gets bad reviews, you can rest assured that we look to phase that out for future itineraries. So those are things that really pop out. So when there's a reason to take a port out, we've got the survey data. The other thing that we're doing is we do a pre-survey where people have never been to the port and we ask their opinion of it. This is more on the sales side where we'll ask how important are these ports or how likely would you want to go to these ports? So we try to understand what is important to people that have never been to these places because obviously those are the people we want to sell future cruises to so that's the other side of the coin that we take a look at do you remember off the top of your head what your highest rated port is we've been very successful with going to seville and the beauty about seville is we're the largest ship that can go down the guadalquivir river and it's about a seven to eight hours down the river where we literally go under bridges and at the very end we turn around and back into the heart of the city People buy the cruise, they don't understand. We actually stay there for usually two overnights and we will go out during daylight because it's such a scenic uh, sail out of the city. But that's one that people have low expectations. The captains and the, the crew always eat it up because it's such a long day to go down there. So we'll have buffets or whatever. But the reality is you're in the heart of the city and the big ships have to dock out at some bigger piers and they literally have to take tours into Seville. We're there with the ship. So again, the low expectation, and it always comes back and is always one of the highest rated ports that we go to. Like, I think you've just mentioned something that has piqued my interest and completely stunned me. You say we back into Seville, we sail backwards. Yeah, we literally go down the river for six or seven hours. We go under bridges. Bridges are opened up. I mean, it literally, it's like a little obstacle course to get in there. And at the very end, we have to turn the ship around and then back down the river to, for the last leg. Because when we leave, we can't turn around down there. So you back into the heart of the city. We dock right there where people can walk off into the city center. But we're then positioned when we leave to just go down the river. So we literally back up and it's a fun day. So part of the adventure is actually getting the ship into the city. So you've got passengers on by the pool just watching this the whole day. So that's part of the experience of Seville is just getting into the heart of the city. So, But yes, it's, it's one of their highest rated ports that we go to. Talk about setting a challenge for the captains there. Okay, captains, back her up. <laughs> Parallel parking times 10. <laughs> 
So. Wow, that's amazing. And speaking of ports, which is your favorite of all time? Well, it's the ports I haven't been to in a long while. I love New Zealand, especially the South Island. I love those ports down there. I also love Australia. I'm actually going to be taking my vacation on the Quest cruise that goes from Sydney, Australia to Perth. So we'll do all the southern ports and the western ports in Australia. So I'm really looking forward to that. I think I go through phases of what I like and what I don't like. I love the Greek Isles. I mean, I can never find a bad island there. But then I also love going up into the British Isles, into Scotland and Ireland. So it always changes where I want to go next. But I mean, that's the beauty about cruising is there's so many great places to travel to. And is there a particular port that you would love to take our ships to, but haven't just yet? I've got a laundry list I keep in my office on the wall, potential ports that I've heard through the years or made their pitches to me. I mean, I would love to be able to go back to Cuba. We were there in 2017, 18, and 19 when we had the opportunity. Those were cruises that were just really special because there's such a mystique about Cuba and Havana. We were able to stay three days in Havana, two overnights, but also went to Cienfuegos and Santiago de Cuba in the eastern part of the island. That's one I hope at some point we go back to. There's a lot of smaller ports I've got on my list that we continue to look at. The one that we're doing on the 2024 World Cruise, which is very special and caught a lot of attention, is Easter Island. Again, you just don't drive to Easter Island. It's hard to get there. Another one is Pitcairn, which is out in the middle of Pacific. Those are places by ship that you can go to. So those are special things that are coming up for us. And those are both maiden calls for us in 2024. What do you think is changing in the cruise industry in terms of itinerary planning? Let's talk about the next five to 10 years. Itinerary planning, when I started doing this 25 years ago, we would go as fast as we could between ports because we didn't care how much fuel costs. Port costs weren't really looked at either, but now it's more of a science. Obviously, we've got to manage our fuel. So we take a look at what's the speed between ports. That's why for us, it works well because we'll stay in port for a couple days and stuff. That helps with the fuel cost as well. It's just much more scientific because we take a look at onboard revenue. We look at what time are we in port? How can we better have the product and sell tours? Do we have a good selection of tours for the guest? I take a look at port costs. 30 years ago, we didn't look at the stuff, but now it's, does it all fit together? And at the end of the day, are we maximizing our opportunities for our guest? And are we maximizing the opportunities for the cruise line? It's gotten much more scientific, but all good. It's fascinating to hear the data that goes into it. And then the science, as you said, that goes into itinerary planning. I'm sure most of our guests just look at the list of ports and go, that's the cruise I wanted to take, please. But the work that goes into it is is fascinating. Mike, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been fantastic to talk to you. One of the hidden heroes of Azamara. And I think now having had a chance to talk to you, even more aware of how important the role and the work that you do is. So thank you for everything that you do for the brand. And I'm sure the guests and the travel agents and the crew members who are listening to this will agree that this is incredibly important work. So thank you for everything. Thank you very much. What an incredible conversation with Mike. I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who have never thought about what it takes to find ship parking spaces all around the world. And that world cruise sounds amazing. 155 days with so many ports. Wow, I want that vacation. I want to be there when that ship backs up into the river of Seville. Now that is an Instagram moment. So before we end the year, we couldn't go without saying a massive thank you to the real heroes of the company. And that's our incredible crew. Dinah and myself had the pleasure of joining the Azamara Onward in the Caribbean, and the crew wanted to say hello. And so with that, we want to say thank you to everyone who's listened this year. 
and we hand it over to our as amazing crew who wish to say hello. Hello, my name is Shobhu Kumar. I am deck attendant from Ajmer onward. I want to wish everyone wish you happy merry christmas and happy new year. Thank you. Enjoy. Hi, my name is Simeon Mamburi, working at the guest relations desk. I'd love to wish you all uh, happy holidays and merry christmas and a happy new year to all of you. Thank you so much. Hi everybody, my name is Martin. I'm the cruise director. I would just like to wish happy holidays to all our guests and crew. Good morning. My name is Eliseo Vega. I'm from Panama City and I work in Azamara. Onward currently as a chief security officer. I just want to wish you a happy holidays. Hey, this is Rafael Concierge from Azamara, from the lovely 7107 islands of the Philippines and hoping you a happy holidays. Hello, this is Val, the HR manager from Asmara onward. I'd like to wish everybody happy holidays wherever you may be around the world. Hello, my name is Dr. Maureen. I'm from Canada. Happy holidays to everyone and I hope you have a wonderful cruise. Hello, it's Jessica from Shore Excursions on Asmara onward. I just want to wish everyone a happy holidays and hope you have a good time. Hello, my name is Nicolò from Shore Excursions team. I come from Italy and I want to wish you to everybody a merry merry Christmas. Hello everyone. I am Roldan from Philippines from Deck Department. Wishing everyone a Merry Christmas and a Happy Holidays. Hello, my name is Lou. I'm a Zamara crew on board. I'm come from Indonesia. I just want to say Happy Holidays for everyone. Hey, my name is Muhammad. I'm from India. I'm the one of the management team in the restaurant and Happy Holiday. Hello, my name is Gede. I'm from Bali, Indonesia. I'm from restaurant department. I want to say Happy Holiday and Merry Christmas to my family at home in Bali. Hello everyone. My name is Kimberly from Azomara Onward. I'm one of the head waitress. Happy Holidays, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. I hope you're going to have a great time everyone. Thank you. Hi, I'm Catherine from Philippines. I am from dining department. Happy Holiday, Merry Christmas to everyone, especially for my family in Philippines. Happy holiday. Hi, my name is Suraj. I'm straight room attendant in Asmara Cruises. Happy Christmas and a happy new year. For more information about Asmara, you can find the brand's LinkedIn page at linkedin.com/asmara. And of course, be sure to follow and like our content on Instagram at Asmara Voyages. You can also follow our careers page at asmara.com and look for career opportunities at the bottom of the page. Look out for the next episode as we're introducing you to more people inside Azamara. Hey.